At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It's great for us to be together again today. And if you've been with, with us at Wildwood over the last number of months, you know that we've been walking through the book of Revelation Um, And in the book of Revelation, we have seen that this is a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. And specifically, we saw that in the first three chapters of Revelation, that it is a revelation of uh, Jesus as the Lord of the church. And then in the last three Sundays, we have looked at Revelation chapters four and five about how Jesus is also the Lord of heaven. And this morning, we're going to be in our final installment in the Lord of heaven series as we're going to be looking at. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. But before we open God's Word and look at that together, I want to just kind of set the stage for us in our conversation of heaven. You know, heaven is a a real place. It's a real location with a real God who occupies it. Um, That ought to be a great comfort to you, especially if you know Christ, and a great encouragement for you to trust Christ if you do not currently trust him in faith. Because if we know Christ, then heaven is a real place for us. In our first service, you may have have heard this, but we had a medical event uh, in the service, and we really thought that one of our members was headed to heaven today. Uh, By God's grace, he came back, and we are celebrating with their family as he is taken to a hospital now. But it is very close for each of us, is it not? But I also am am mindful of the events that our church has lived through in the last several days. Uh, Many of you know the Morin family. Um, You may have already heard, but if you have not, Pat Morin, after a multi-year battle with cancer, went to be with Jesus this last week. Um, These pictures were quite recent. This is Pat with her husband, Mike. Uh, these pictures were taken near the time of Sierra's wedding to Dylan Gregory just about a week ago. Um, and there are the rest of, of the girls there with their mom. Um, Sonia Vega is, is uh, her surviving mother, Pat's surviving mother, who's also a member with us here at Wildwood. And it's just been a very grieving moment to grieve someone we love so much that has gone to be with the Lord. I, I don't need to, to ask this question, but just think in your heart, have you been blessed by Pat Moore? And I'm guessing that many, many of you are saying yes. And so when we think about this day, and I was preparing for this day, I also thought, you know, when we think about Mother's Day, what, what a challenge to have Mother's Day being so close to the moment that Pat went to be with Jesus and how that would stir up a number of emotions for their family. But I, I just was reminded as I thought about that, that to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. And Pat has never been better. And she is alive and well in the presence of God in a real heaven. Now, when she gathers there on her first Mother's Day in heaven, um, Greg, I'm sorry, the music there is just better. But, but, but just so you know, the preaching is too. Um, <laughs> But, but that's, that's where she is. 
And just as our times of worship have some structure and some music, so also the heaven that that Pat is experiencing right now also has structure and has music. And we get to see in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, the very real set list that Pat is singing through together with the elders and the angelic creatures and the angelic hosts in heaven today. And so as we gather today, let us be encouraged by the worship that is happening in heaven and let us be inspired to model that expression as we remain here on the earth. If you got a Bible, take it and turn to Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. We're going to spend the rest of our time in those, in those verses. In a very real way, the, the song that we sang just before uh, I came up, was the song, Is He Worthy? Uh, That song is a picture of Revelation 5. And so with that song in mind and that context in mind, let's hear the songs that are being sung in heaven. It says in verse 8, And when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and they worshiped. Now, friends, in these few verses, we see a picture of the worship of heaven. And it really seems like we're, we're looking on to a live concert in heaven. And so with that picture in mind, I, I wanted to organize our study of this, like seeing the live concert of worship in heaven. And so with that live concert, if it were placed into an album, which is Revelation chapter 5, there would be album artwork that would be on the cover, there would be a picture of the scene that is happening in heaven, and then there would be various songs that would be included as tracks. And so let's look at these verses with that in mind. So the first thing we need to see is the album art. What is the picture of heaven that we see and what can we learn from it? Well, the picture of heaven that we see, the album art, is a picture of of are the posture and the prayers of people in heaven. The posture and the prayers of people in heaven. Well, where do we see that? Well, we see it in verses 8 and 14. We see the posture of people in heaven. It says, and when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, what did they do? They fell down before the lamb. Physically arranged their bodies below Jesus. Not only did they do that at this moment, but but also verse 14 concludes this, kind of like a parenthesis including this whole section, they conclude it by also falling down and worshiping as the living creatures say amen. One of the things I'll just mention as an aside is that it's interesting that in heaven, 
people say amen. Amen? Yeah, that's great, right? I mean, they're interacting. They, they can't keep their mouth closed because they are so in agreement with what they see and what is happening in heaven that they cannot keep that to themselves. They open their mouths, the angelic creatures do, and they provide their assent. They say, amen. They do that not because they were Baptists instead of Presbyterians. They do that because they agree with what is happening in heaven. But their posture is to bow down before him. Your posture is to bow down before him. And I think that's in really telling for us. It instructs us on what our posture should be before Jesus if we are to respond to him accurately. And so it got me thinking, what is our posture towards Jesus? There's a number of different possibilities in this. One possibility of our posture before Jesus would be to see ourselves above Jesus. Now, when I say that, uh, you may want to say a little more of a what than amen, right? Like, what do you mean, see myself above Jesus? But what I mean by that is sometimes we take the posture that we know better than he. We take the attitude that our way is better, that somehow we have figured things out morally, ethically, sexually, whatever it might be. We have figured it out more than he has, and so we stand over Jesus saying our way is right, your way is inferior. It's possible that some today might arrive and and have a perspective that their way is better. Might not have described it that way, but that may be the product of what's happening on the interior of your life. It's a question to ask, are you seeing yourself as above the one who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who healed the lame and the sick, and sits enthroned now in heaven? Do you you see yourself as above him? It's It's a question we need to ask. The second possibility, though, is to see ourselves beside Jesus, not above him, but beside him. Now, we need to be clear, Jesus did condescend himself by taking on human flesh and come around us. So in that sense, he is our brother and that he made himself relatable to us. But friends, Jesus is not just another guy. He's not just another voice, not just another perspective. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God who has in his hands the reins of history, that in his presence in heaven when sin is removed and people see him clearly, people fall before him in worship. That is who he is. He's not just another guy. He's not just somebody that gave us a neat example so that we could look to him and say, Jesus, like George Washington, has done some good stuff. There's some some neat things for us to see in him. No, 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 friends, he's not beside us. In fact, the third option exists, and that is that he's above us. We are below him. And if if we take the correct posture before Jesus, we will not stand above him in judgment or just stand beside him as an example, but we would fall before him and put ourselves below him and say, Jesus, there is no one like you. That is the appropriate posture in response to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of God who holds the reins of history in his hands. See, friends, it's sad to say that in today's day and age, we often take one of these perspectives of Jesus that makes us equal to or greater than him. And with that, we forget who he really is. Friends, we need to be reminded of who he is. 
And, and even if we don't physically get to our knees before him as we worship, that we would be metaphorically on our knees before him in worship as we live out our lives. We would be before him in obedience. We would be before him in the way that we handle finances. We would be before him in the way that we treat other people. We would not look just to our own interests, but we would look to his interest and follow his direction. And what he says goes. Friends, I just want to challenge you today to think about what is your posture towards Christ and and use this picture of heaven, the album artwork of heaven, to remind you of the appropriate attitude and response that we should have to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But not only do we see something about the posture of heaven, we see that in the falling down, but we also see something about the prayer that is happening there. And we see that in these these bowls of prayers that are present in heaven, held in the arms of the elders, which are representative of redeemed humanity. That's right. In, In heaven right now, of all the things he could see, the Spirit of God directed John to see prayers somehow represented. What did they look like? I don't know. But he understood that these were prayers that were in these bowls in heaven that were present. Now, why did Jesus have John see this? Why was it important for him to record it and to share it with us? Well, the reason why it's important to see is because it reminds us of the nature of prayer. What do these prayers smell like in the presence of God? That's a weird thing to ask. But it smells like a bowl full of incense. Bowls full of incense would be used in the temple worship on earth to be representative of something that was pleasing in the sight of God. So by seeing prayers in the the presence of God, it's a reminder that our prayers are like a sweet aroma to him. That, That God looks at our prayers, he sees our prayers, and they are represented as a pleasant aroma. When when we pray, he goes, yes. Now, this would have been critical because John would have prayed many prayers. He would have probably begun to wonder, is God even hearing these prayers? Is he going to do anything with them? Am I wasting his time? Am I bothering him as I pray? He sees a picture of his prayers and the prayers of you and the prayers of me in heaven, and they are a sweet aroma to God. But not only are they a sweet aroma, but also they're just, they're still there. They're still there. They're present in the very throne room of God. They have not been discarded They have not been lost. These are unanswered prayers, friends, that are placed in bowls, not ignored, not done away with. They have been placed in storage until the appropriate time they will come back to the earth. In context, we'll see this in the weeks ahead. These are prayers specifically for the judgment and righteousness of God to come to the earth. I don't know if you've ever watched the news and just offered a simple prayer. Oh, Lord, please do something. Lord, help those people. Help this group. Help us. Our world is broken. Our world is breaking. Lord, intervene. Do something. You ever prayed that prayer and then nothing seems to change? And you think, well, that prayer just bounce off the ceiling? Is it connecting? John sees a picture of heaven. And in that picture of heaven, he sees those prayers, each one of them saved, stored, placed in bowls, awaiting their time of response. Friends, if if you are here and you've become discouraged in prayer, most likely it's because you think either God doesn't want to hear from you or you think that he will never respond. 
Be encouraged. Look to the artwork of heaven and be reminded that he welcomes it like sweet incense. And he is waiting to respond at the appropriate time. So let's pray. So we see in the early sections here the album art of our posture and our prayer. But after setting that scene, this picture of the worship that is happening in heaven, I want to move on now to to look at three different songs that are being sung. It might just be one song broken into three parts, but we'll look at them in, in three movements. So what are these three songs that are being sung in heaven and who's singing them? Well, the first song is the hit new song, and it's being sung by redeemed humanity. Now, when I say hit new song, what do I mean by new song? Well, what I mean is in in these verses, in verse 9, it says that they, being the elders who were representative of redeemed humanity in heaven, they are singing a new song. In what way is this song new? I mean, they were singing this 2,000 years ago. This is like an oldie now to us, right? But what they mean by saying a new song is they're, they're singing about the new work that Christ had just accomplished on the cross and establishing a new covenant relationship with man. That's what they're going to sing about. And not only was it new in what Jesus inaugurated at his death and resurrection, but it's new in its effect in the future when Jesus will return to this earth. And so we're awaiting even the newer new part of this new thing. And so in heaven right now, they're not just singing the oldies, they're singing the new thing. They're singing what Jesus is doing right now in this phase of history. And this song is going up before him. Now, what are the components of that song? Well, the first component of that song is they're singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus, there's no one like you. Only you are able to grab the reins of history and to drive this bus where you intend for it to go in all of your wisdom and power and might. So it begins with a a simple reminder. We, We sang that earlier in our service. But then he, he goes on and he, after he mentions worthy are you, he goes on and begins, the, the, the redeemed humanity of heaven begin to sing about Jesus' saving work on the cross. If you've ever thought, these Christians seem just, you know, overly fixated on the cross and the empty tomb. If you've ever felt like that, that means that we are accurately doing our job. Because not only should we be focused on the death and the resurrection of Christ now, in eternity, what are they singing about? They're singing about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because this act is like no other. Jesus lived a perfect life. He came as the Son of God, and he took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, validated who he was through his miracles and his teaching and all of that, and then At the end of his days, he is arrested on trumped-up charges and nailed to the cross as an innocent man to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins, to pay the price completely so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And then on the third day, he rose again to remind us that we also have the hope of newness of life. Friends, that is the gospel, and that is what Jesus has done for us. And in heaven right now, that's what they're singing about. They're saying, Jesus, you were slain, and with your blood, you ransomed people. What does he mean, ransomed? He means purchased or redeemed. A price was paid, friends, for you and for me. We have been bought, but we have not been bought by one who wants our worst. We have been bought by the one who knows what is best, and we have been reconciled to him. It's interesting when 
Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. We don't have time to get into that, but I would encourage you to read those verses later. In 1 Peter 1, 14 and 18, he talks about how we have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. And he immediately then talks about how we are called to live a holy life just as God is holy. What's the connection? Well, as a free gift, Jesus bought us with his blood, but with the expectation and hope and desire that he would not just save us in one moment, that we, but that we would walk with him in obedience forever. We have been bought. We are his. We are his covenant people to live in relationship and obedience to him. Friends, this is, this is what is being sung about in heaven. They are celebrating the fact that they have been bought by one who knows better than us. And we would do well to remember that as well. After singing of being bought by Christ and ransomed and forgiven, they go on to say that the scope of this work will impact every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. A little later on, we're going to see a picture of heaven in, in, in later chapters of Revelation that includes all of those. And this connects and should remind us of the great commission that Jesus gave to the church. Jesus gave the church a great commission and said that we are not just to keep this message to ourselves, but we are to go into all the world and invite people from every tribe and every language and, and every nation to come into a relationship with Christ. Jesus has blown the doors open. If we want to live out the Great Commission, we cannot keep it to ourselves, and we cannot even just keep it among those who look and sound like us. But we must take it to the ends of the earth because that's the mission. That's where this is headed. That's the heart of God. I love what Tony Evans says about this. He says this means, talking about this picture of every tribe, tongue, and nation, he says this means that Difference and diversity are not problems to be solved, but were part of God's plan from the very beginning. God delights in the variety and beauty of his creation. Here in this perfect, complete worship service around the throne, we can see clearly that all are precious in God's sight. And this diverse community of saints is unified in their worship of the Lamb. Christian unity does not mean uniformity, but a shared focus on and worship of Jesus Christ. I really think this is important for us to remember because we live in a world that is diversity-obsessed right now. The word is used everywhere. But I think we're reminded that as followers of Christ, we ought to know that diversity doesn't come by us focusing on diversity. Ultimately, inside the church, diversity comes by focusing on Jesus Christ. See, our politics or our spin on things or our spin on the news is simply not a big enough vision to unite all the people that Jesus wants to save. You know what is, what is able to unite that kind of a diverse group? <laughs> Jesus, right? So by God's grace as a church, we want to be a place that comes together that lifts Jesus up and remembers that every person matters to God and remembers that the gospel is to go to the people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, but also to remember that our job is to keep Christ lifted high because only he is able to deliver that kind of reconciliation and unity, not uniformity, but unity around his person. So we see this picture of heaven that is being this singing and remembering this scope of God's work. Then he goes on and he, they begin to continue to sing and they, they sing about 
how Jesus has made them a kingdom. Well, what's a kingdom? A kingdom is a group of people with a king. It's a reminder that that, that we have a king. We have a king that, that doesn't rotate out of office every four years. I don't know if you knew that, but our king is on the throne forever. It never changes. Jesus is our king. If we know Christ, Jesus is our king. And and ultimately, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords over all of creation. And we are reminded that we are a part of a kingdom. And not only are we a part of that kingdom, but also he's made us priests. Now, priests in the Old Testament context had this idea and understanding of someone that had special access to God. They were the ones that were the interceders for people. But I think it's beautiful that we're reminded and and in heaven, the redeemed are singing right now, remembering that what Jesus did was he made all of us priests. He gave all of us direct access to God. As a pastor, it is a tremendous privilege to pray with you. And and many of you come up after service, it is wonderful for me to be able to pray for you. But here's what you got to know. I have no special hotline to God. There's not a red phone behind this speaker where I get direct access that you don't have. But the way that I can talk to God is the same way that you can through the saving work of Jesus Christ. He has made us collectively a a, a group of priests, men and women, all with direct access to God because of what Christ has done. And not only that, but there's this hope that we're going to be able to reign upon the earth Now, what does he mean by that? He means that that one day Jesus is coming back and establishing a kingdom. And you might have a lot of questions about what that looks like. And my answer to that is, please come back later on. Because this is where the book of Revelation will culminate. And we'll get there this fall. But I I, I want us to, to see that right now in heaven, they're singing in anticipation of what Jesus is doing and what he's getting ready to do. And so right now in heaven, there is a new song that is being sung by redeemed humanity. And that song, friends, is full of reminders for you and I on how to prioritize our lives today. Not just continuing to pray, not just taking a posture of laying low before him, but also remembering these great truths about what God is doing in Christ in the world. There's a second song that's being sung. And this is not so much a song as it is a spoken word interlude. This is Greg stepping to the mic and speaking a word of encouragement and comfort for us between songs. What we see in the very presence of the throne room of God, between the song that the redeemed are singing, the angelic hosts are speaking loudly. Now, what are they saying? And what, who are these angels? I mean, if you were with us the last few weeks, you know that we talked about how there were these four angelic creatures representing all of creation. Is that all the angels? The answer to that is absolutely not. When John's attention begins to spread out, he realizes that there are myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. The word myriad is is the biggest number that they had in the Greek language. It means about 10,000. This is like 10,000 times 10,000, 1,000 times 1,000. I I don't think that John was counting them. I don't think John was going one, two, three. Hey, could you guys just stand still in this corner? I'm, I'm losing you, angels. You're moving your, your wings. How many of you are there? He's not counting them in this moment. When he says myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, he's saying there are more angels than we can count. And they're all speaking in unison. As an aside, this is an encouragement and a reminder for us. The four angelic beings, the four creatures that he saw back in chapter 4, 
Those aren't the only four angels. And the 24 elders, friends, are not the only 24 saved people. They were just the focus of what he saw first. The reality is there are a multitude in heaven. We'll see them later on as well. God is just allowing John to see what he can describe in scenes for us. What are these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels saying? Well, they're, they're talking about how worthy is the lamb who was slain. They're praising Jesus for his work upon the earth. But then they continue to go on and they say, you are worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, how, how many words do you see highlighted there? I'll give you a clue. Seven. Seven words. Now, if you've been following along in our study of Revelation, is the number seven common? And what has it always meant? The number of completion. All of it. What this pictures is, Jesus, you're worthy of everything. You're worthy of it all. There's nothing that, is, that you're not worthy of. When it, when it comes to power and might, you're worthy of that. You're omnipotent. When it comes to, to wisdom and plans, that, that's, that's your glory and your wisdom. You're, you're worthy of that. When, when it comes to where you are currently residing in, in this glorified position in heaven, we're reminded of the wealth that you have. But you left that wealth to come to this earth to rescue us so that we too might share in your blessing. They just keep adding words and they could go on and on and on and on and on. The words of the angels are praising Jesus. And it's a reminder for us, do our words celebrate Jesus as well? See, the things we really care about, we talk about. I talk about OU football. Why? Because I care about it. it. I have a portion of my brain, far too big of a portion I confess, is thinking about that. Far too big of a portion of my brain is thinking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. There, I've confessed it. It's before you. Um, But because it's a part of me, I talk about it with friends. The things we care about, we talk about. In heaven, with Christ lifted up and clear, you're talking about Jesus and his greatness. Does the greatness of Jesus flavor our conversations as well? Spoken word interlude by the angels. Well, last thing quickly to cover is also there's this sing-along that is happening in heaven. A sing-along where uh, all creation is joining in in praise of God. Um, And and I love how it says there in verse 13, he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. All creation is in this moment, is, is praising God. And I think that what we see in this is a little bit of a picture of what it will be like when Jesus establishes his kingdom upon the earth. Not only will there be redeemed humanity that will join him from across the ages and across every tribe, tongue, and nation, but when he sets up his kingdom upon the earth, there's going to be animals, and in their own animal way, those animals will be honoring to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie The Lion King. But there's a scene in Lion King where Simba is presented on Pride Rock and all the animals in their own little animal way all bow because they recognize that the king is present. Friends, don't take that illustration too far, but see in it a picture of when Jesus stands, even your dog will bow. Even 
If you have farm animals, even they will understand the presence of the one who created them in eternity. It is the organizing principle of all things. And notice it is the father and the son again who are honored concurrently in this moment. One last verse to share. Sometimes we think that the Father and the Son are at odds, warring against one another. Jesus loves us. The Father hates us. So Jesus paid the price to save us from the Father who wanted to get us. It's not the way it works. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What does that tell us? The Father and the Son were working together on this one. Make it possible for us to be forgiven. And that's the anchor to the security that we have in him. Friends, we could go on, much more to say, but let's just bask for a moment in the provision of our God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for this great truth that we're able to celebrate. Um, I pray, Lord, that our lives would be instructed by the things that are most important in all eternity and that our lives would take a posture of bowing before you and our mouths would declare your greatness and we would celebrate the things that will endure. And Lord, that you would be honored through our lives. How we live and even now how we sing. In Jesus' name we pray.